Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. You have your Bibles turned to the book of Nehemiah. This has been, I've enjoyed this series. I've loved this book study. Really, it's a, a classic case study on leadership. And, and my heart for you as your pastor is that God would increase your influence and enlarge your capacity. Uh, I, I think this is a great series to really equip the body of Christ to represent him in the earth today. God wants you to do what you do at a whole nother level. Come on, talk to me. How many of you know we can't do this in our own strength? But the good news is we don't have to do it in our own strength. And Nehemiah is a great picture of God choosing an ordinary person. I'm glad God uses simple folk like us. Just some rowdy, crazy Cajuns. Come on, somebody. Right here on the bayou. And God says, I want to put my spirit inside of ordinary people. And and through the power of that spirit, we get to do extraordinary things. This whole series is called Doing a Great Work. And and I think that today's lesson is going to give you some practical tools to equip you to do what you do at a whole nother level. Nehemiah chapter 3, we're going to read a few verses at the end of this chapter and then spend most of our time in chapter 4. But the title of the message today is simply this, Rebuilding the Ruins. Rebuilding the Ruins. The ruins. Today is going to be a day of hope. I just believe that because some of us feel like that our, we were reading about the walls of Jerusalem that are broken down and in disrepair. Some of us feel like that in our own soul. Some of us feel like we have opportunities that have been spoiled, that have been ruined. Uh, Some of us have battled disappointment, or maybe we've made some mistakes in the past, and we feel like that there's nothing that can be done. The story of Nehemiah is not just about a man rebuilding the walls, but it's about God rebuilding his people. And I think today's going to be filled with a lot of hope. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 23. Now, let me give you a disclaimer, all right? I'm about to read a bunch of Old Testament names that I don't have a clue as to how to pronounce. They didn't teach us this in Bible college. In fact, I never went to Bible college. I don't know if that unsettles anybody. I'm about to butcher some names, y'all, okay? So don't send me any emails with the pronunciations. No, no, we're just going to do our best, okay? Uh, We're going to read some Old Testament names. Man, I like New Testament names better. I like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Oh, here we go, Nehemiah. All right. We're going to read about some families that are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Look at what it says in verse 23. After them, Benjamin uh, and Heshub repaired the section across from their house. And Azariah, son of Maasiah. (laughs) It's fixed to get worse, y'all. And the grandson of Ananiah, hey, you like how that, Azariah, Maasiah, Ananiah, Jehovah Jireh, I don't, I don't. <laughs> they repaired the section across from his house. Look at verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own 
home. Now notice what I'm bolding, the, the, the phrase in these verses. Notice what's being repeated here. Verse 29, next, Zadok, son of Emmer, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house. And beyond him was Shemaiah, son of Shekaniah, <laughs> Meomiah, <laughs> the gatekeeper of the east gate. Next, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, sounds like Haman, doesn't it? Hanan, the, the sixth son of <laughs> Zalaf, repaired another section, while Meshullam, oh man, son of Berechiah, <laughs> rebuilt the wall across from where he lived. And all of God's people said, oh my goodness, that's going to be the toughest part right there. I did it. I did it. I made it through that. But the reason why I wanted to plow through that passage was to show you a recurring theme. Notice where each family began to do the work. I, I want to give you some simple thoughts here. If we have time, I'll give you four simple thoughts on how to rebuild the ruins. But first is this. Number one, do what's in front of you. This, this is big, okay? Do what's in front of you. Sometimes we can feel like the need is so overwhelming. Have you ever been assigned a task and it made you feel so small because the size of it was so big? Have you ever wondered, where do I even begin? Now, now think about it. For 120 years, the walls of Jerusalem had been in disrepair. Uh, if you remember in previous installments of this series, we talked about how the, the, uh, the Jews had been exiled, and, and they slowly began to come back. Now, this is during the time of Persia, uh, the, that, that empire that ruled the world. They began to let Jews come back to their home city, and, and the walls were in disrepair. There was a spirit of disgrace over the place. There were very few people living in Jerusalem at the time. They had no national identity. And think about this. At the time of Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, the wall was about two and a half, almost three miles long. And given those circumstances, you can easily feel overwhelmed. Where in the world do I begin? You do what's in front of you. I can't worry about what's happening down the road. Come on now. I've got to take responsibility for what's in front of me. Let me say it this way. Start where you are. Use what you have and do what you can. Come on, now, I'm trying to help somebody right now because your life is in disrepair. Maybe you feel like shame and disgrace have followed you for years. You're trying to put back and reconstruct what's been destroyed. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a fallout in a marriage. Maybe it's something with one of your children. Maybe you've held on to a dream that has been shattered and all you're left is with pieces and you're saying, where do I begin? You start with what's in front of you. Each one of these families, they began with what was right in front of them. I can't worry about three miles of wall. I can only worry about the wall in my backyard. Come on, are you with me? You see, they weren't just rebuilding a wall, but God was building their future. This was symbolic. This was a sacred time in Jewish history because it was saying basically to the nations of the world, Israel 
is back. I know you thought we were destroyed. I know you thought that God had forsaken us. I know we've been under judgment because of our sinfulness, but God is bringing people back and he's restoring dignity. He's restoring hope. He's restoring a sense of strength and accomplishment. Why? Because we are God's chosen people. This was a statement to the nations of the world that God was not finished with the nation of Israel. And can I tell you this? God's not finished with you. You may think that you're finished, but God's not done yet. God always has the final word. The last chapter has yet to be written. Maybe you don't like the chapter that you're currently in right now. Maybe you feel like a bust. Maybe you feel like a total failure. Maybe you can't see the happy ending in your future. So you're saying this is all it is, and God's saying, I'm not done yet. Don't put a period where God puts a comma. Come on, how many English scholars do we have? You know what a period says? It's over. The thought is finished. It's complete. But you know what a comma says? Oh, wait, wait. Just, just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just pause right here. There's more coming. And God's telling us today, put a comma there because I'm not finished. You see, you got to do what's in front of you. This is a beautiful picture of the church. Think about it. There, there were priests. There were government officials. There were craftsmen. There were warriors. There were builders. There were families. And all of them were united to accomplish this vision. I love how God uses everyone to accomplish his purposes. I'm going to make a statement here because I feel like it's important. We may need to rework some of our thoughts about the church. For too long, the church has tried to accomplish the fullness of its mission from the stage. We, we've said that if we're going to be all that God's called us to be, we're going to have to do it from the stage. Can I tell you this? God wants us to take a break from the stage and get out into the streets. I thank God for the stage. I'm not trying to belittle the stage, but I think we've put an unnecessary emphasis on the importance of the stage, and we've de-emphasized the power of the seats because the strength that's in the seats is going to change what's in the streets. There's a danger when you put too much focus on the stage. You know what an overemphasis of the stage creates? Two things. It creates spectators, and it creates celebrities. And watch what I'm saying here. If, we're not, if we say that the stage is all there is to the mission of the church, then you're going to buy into the lie that everybody who comes on this stage is a celebrity. I want to tell you this. In the kingdom of God, there's no room for any celebrities. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. And that stage is for him and him alone. If we put an unnecessary emphasis on the stage, we create celebrities of everybody who steps on it. And look, I'm grateful for the gift mix that's on the stage, but do not idolize the men and women up here. We're just like you. We're faced with the same challenges, the same I'm fighting the same battles that you're fighting. Man, when we were singing in worship today, man, I was warring in my spirit. I know I got some things I'm struggling. I need the same power of the Holy Spirit that you do. Do not put your faith in a celebrity. 
because the celebrity will disappoint you. And if you lose your faith in God because of the mistakes of a celebrity, then maybe your faith was never in God in the first place. Not only does an overemphasis of the stage create celebrities, but it also creates spectators. Well, you know what, Mike, that's your church. And if Healing Place is going to be successful, then it's up to you. <laughs> Number one, it's not my church. It's his church. And God has called butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers to accomplish his will in the earth today. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Here's what your pastor needs. I need you to be equipped to shine your light at work. I need you to have the tools to share your faith with your lost neighbors. I need you to have the courage of the Holy Spirit inside of you to invite somebody to a Christmas service in hopes that they may get saved. I need you to give of your time, your talent, your treasure, and your touch. The success of this church does not rest upon the celebrity on the stage. It, it rests upon the shoulders of Jesus and ordinary people like us that are fully committed to build the wall that's in front of us. Interesting, as they were building the wall, God was building them. When you put your hand to the work of God, it's amazing what happens. I love that, that Healing Place is filled with hundreds of volunteers. There are hundreds across all of our campuses, hundreds of men and women who volunteer and serve this house so faithfully. And you know what my prayer is for every volunteer? Lord, as they prioritize your house, I pray that you would bless their house. Do what's in front of you. Or, or let me give you a, a modern translation to that thought. Mind your own business. Some of y'all didn't like that. Let me let the Apostle Paul say it a little bit better. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, he says this, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding... Your own business. Come on, somebody say, none ya. That's none your business, all right? You ever said that? Your kid, what are y'all talking about? Your kids say, what are y'all talking about? Hey, none ya. Stay in your lane. Paul says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. You see, when you do what's in front of you, it's hard to find the time or the energy to criticize what's in front of somebody else. That's why you'll never hear from this platform any pastor from HPC criticizing another ministry or another church. You know why? We've got our own problems. If I'm building what's in front of me, I don't have the time or energy to criticize what's in front of you. But guess what? I need you to build your section of the wall, just like I'm going to build my section of the wall. And as each one of us take responsibility for our families and our circles of influence, it's amazing how piece by piece, brick upon brick, the wall gets built. Number one, do what's in front of you. Now look at what it says, chapter 4, verse 1. This is a theme you're going to see throughout Nehemiah, but it's opposition at every step. It's amazing how every step of progress in the kingdom is met by opposition. You should be encouraged by that. 
Because if some of you are fighting battles, it may be a sign that you're moving forward in the right direction. Look at what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. Saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian officers, he said this, what is this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can really build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Now watch what he says here. Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And charred ones at that. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. The second thing, I want you to write down this phrase, and let me explain it to you. Number two, from trash to treasure. From trash to treasure. Do you get that? Now, I'm not calling people trash, but what I'm saying is this. These enemies of Nehemiah looked at the wall, and they said, that's just rubbish. It's trash. Look, they're trying to take these charred stones and brick and patchwork. This, this wall wouldn't even stand if even a fox ran across the top of it. You see, what some people consider trash, God says, no, 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 that's my treasure. You see, the world says, if it's broken, throw it away. God says, if it's broken, give it to me. Oh, you see the difference now? What do we do? When something doesn't work, we discard it. We get rid of it. Well, it doesn't work as it's supposed to. I, I bought it, and it worked well, but now it's broken down. I get rid of it. The world says, if it's broken, throw it away. God says, if it's broken, give it to me. Because I can take broken things, and I can heal and redeem. This is not just the story of the walls of Jerusalem. This is the story of God's people. And you know, one of the favorite lies of the devil, here's, in all the years of serving God, here's one of the, the, this, the devil loves to play this card in so many people's lives. One of the devil's favorite lies is this, God couldn't possibly use you. You've messed up way too bad. Some of you are sitting in church today or listening to this message right now, and you hear the voice of the enemy mocking you taunting you, tormenting you, and he's lying to you saying, if those people knew about you, what I know about you. And he uses shame and guilt and condemnation. The, the, the charred remains of a relationship that ended bad. Some of you, you came out of brokenness in your family. Maybe it was divorce. Uh, maybe there was just a, this shocking reveal of betrayal. Uh, maybe it was massive disappointment. The dreams that you had as a child and what you hoped your life would be. You look in the mirror today and you feel like it's the charred remains. It's burnt bricks and stones that need to be discarded. Can I tell you, the gospel message is simply this. That God can make something out of what you think is nothing. That's the whole center of the gospel message. You think it's nothing. You think it's useless, useless and worthless. And God says, give it to me, and I'll make something out of your nothing. Remember Moses? Remember when he saw the, the, the Egyptian beating that Hebrew, and he killed that Egyptian, buried him in the sand? And then he had to flee for 40 years. And I'm sure the devil reminded him every day for 40 years of the mistake he had made back in Egypt. 
And yet God shows up in a burning bush and he says, give your brokenness to me. And if you give the charred remains of your past mistakes to me, I can turn you into the greatest leader that the world has ever known. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Time and time again, David, he was a murderer. He committed adultery. And yet in the New Testament, the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart. Peter, in, in the last moments that Jesus had here on earth before he was to be crucified, Peter is denying that he even knows Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke 22, at that moment, Jesus looks Peter in the eye. Can you imagine the torment and regret of denying Christ? And yet, who was it that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the great? In one sermon that Peter preached, more people came to Christ in one sermon than an entire three-year ministry of Jesus. God can take your trash, and he can make something valuable out of it. Isaiah 42, verse 3, I love what the prophet says. He says, a bruised reed, he will not break. And a faintly burning wick, he will not break quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Some of you feel bruised and God's saying, give your pain to me. I won't break you. I'll heal you. Some of you feel like that smoldering wick, that fire's about to go out. God says, come to me with your disappointment. I won't quench that flame, but I'll breathe new life into it. The enemies of Nehemiah said, you can't build a wall on that brokenness. And God says, watch me. You know, back in 2017, I had the privilege of going to the Holy Land. Spent about 10 days. In fact, I see Tony with me. We, we, we spent about, what, 10 days in, in Israel. It was life-changing. Some of you have been to, to Israel, and you've seen the places where the, 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 the things that we read about in the Bible, you've walked those same footsteps. And I'll never forget after... We'd spent some time in Galilee, and man, we were baptized in the Jordan River. We went to the Dead Sea. Probably about day three or four when we drove into Jerusalem and to see that city on a hill right there on Mount Zion and to see the walls of that city. Can I tell you this? I walked up to the wall, and I saw a little stone in that wall that was dislodged. So I said, I'm going to bring that stone back to Baton Rouge. I'm getting a little piece of that wall. Come on, pray for your pastor. <laughs> I'm running out onto the field when LSU beats Alabama. Civil disobedience. I'm still in bits and pieces of the wall of Jerusalem. I brought it back with me and I said, Trevor, keep this. This is a stone from the wall of Jerusalem. He wasn't impressed. Well, so I knew I was preaching about the walls of, of Jerusalem today. And so this week, I'm like, hey, T-Rev, where's that stone that I gave you? He's like, well, I, let me go check. I, I, I said, surely you have it. Yeah, yes, sir, I'll go get it for you. He's digging through his drawers, can't find it. Well, I'm digging through the same drawers. I can't find it either. I'm like, what have you done with the stone? I didn't throw it away, I promise. I said, Rachel. She's like, oh, no. I was cleaning his room, and I thought, what? What's he doing with these rocks in his nightstand? She thought it was rubbish. Come on, somebody. She thought it was trash. She threw away the stones of Jerusalem's wall. Listen, some people want to just throw you away. 
God says, no, I see the value even in the midst of your mess. Can I have a good amen? Come on, put your hands together. Look at what 1 Peter 2 says. Peter says this, and you are living stones. Somebody say living stones. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Now we're not talking about bricks and sticks. We're talking about people. And God doesn't throw people away. Mm, I love this. Look at what it says in verse 4. Then I prayed, Lord, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Verse 6, and at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Now notice Nehemiah's response to the ridicule, to the mocking, and to the insults. The Bible says, then I prayed. The third thing I want you to write down is this. Number three, seek God when you're under attack. Seek God. Man, when you're being taunted and mocked and insulted by others, resist the the urge to retaliate. Now, this is tough because when somebody comes at me, I'm coming back. I ain't taking that. Oh, no. But listen, don't take the bait. All that is is bait. What Nehemiah's enemies were trying to do was bait him away from the building project. Let me just say this to you, and this is good. This is good for social media. Can I help us? Because some of us, we are saved and we love Jesus, but our Facebook account needs to get saved and love Jesus too. Not every comment needs a response. It's okay to let them say whatever they want to say, and you just leave it right there. You don't have to engage every argument that you've been invited to. Because what's going to happen is this. If you retaliate, oh, I got to respond. Smoke coming out of your ears, off the keyboard. You're like, ooh, I'm fixing to give him a piece of mama. What happens now is when drama has shown up at the door and knocked on your door, when you open that door, you have invited drama in. And now you can't do what God's called you to do because all of your energy is focused on what they said and how you're going to fix it. Nehemiah didn't even respond. The Bible says he Prayed. You know, my flesh wants to react, but my spirit says, uh-uh-uh-uh. How many's ever typed up something and before you hit sin, the Holy Ghost just put on the brakes? How many have ever pressed send and then you wished you would have listened to the Holy Ghost telling you to put on the brakes? <laughs> you see, your enemies in God's hands are better than your enemies in your hands. Why don't we just trust our enemies to the Lord? You don't have to defend yourself when God is your defense. 
Nehemiah knew that if I engage my critics, then I become part of the drama that they have created. You are now cast into the drama. You are a character in the plot. And listen, if you're doing a great work, you can't afford to be drawn into drama. Let God fight your battles. One of my favorite scriptures, I love this, Psalm 75, verse 2. And God said, at the time that I have planned, I will bring justice against the wicked. Now, notice two things in this verse. God's doing the talking, and notice what he says. At the time I have planned, there is an appointed time that judgment will fall on the wicked. You don't have to do God's part. God can take care of his business just fine without you. There's a timing to this thing, and you got to trust. When you surrender your enemies to the Lord, you got to trust God's timing to bring justice. Number one, he says this, at the time that I have planned, it's his timing. But number two, he's the one bringing the justice. He's the one. Let God handle your enemies. I want you to know this. God's enemies are on a short leash. They they may look like they're having their heyday now, but their days are numbered and coming to an end. Come on, are you catching this? The Bible says the wall was built to half its height because they worked with great enthusiasm. There's another great lesson here. The wall was only halfway built, but they had worked with great enthusiasm. Let me just say this to somebody. Celebrate where you are on the way to where you're going. You say, but the wall's not complete yet. That's okay. Celebrate the progress that you're making now. It may be only halfway high. It's unfinished, but guess what? We got to celebrate where we are on the way to where God's bringing us. Can I have a better amen? I want to ask the band to come out. Let me, let, me, let me close. Look at what it says here, verse 12. This is powerful. The Jews who lived nearby the enemy came and told us again and again, oh, Nehemiah, they'll come from all directions and they'll attack us. So I placed, Nehemiah says, I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, this is a great speech. This is a rallying point. Here's what Nehemiah says. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Let me tell you this. The devil works through fear and intimidation. The devil, he's been stripped of his power when Jesus died on the cross. He has no real power, only the power to deceive. And he's coming in with fear and intimidation. And Nehemiah says this, do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters and your wives. Fight for your homes. The last thought I want to give you is this. Family is worth fighting for. Your family is worth fighting for. Some of you have been fighting more against your family. There's been so much infighting in your family, and God's wanting to say, wait a second. You're on the same team. Now, I'm not trying to minimize trouble and problems and dysfunction in families. We've all got. How many of you got a touch of crazy in your family? Some of you didn't raise your hand. You're scratching your head thinking, well, where is the crazy in my... If you can't identify the crazy in your family... (laughs) You are that crazy one. We all fight in battles, but listen, we got to remember... 
We're on the same team. Let me tell you this. We got to fight for spiritual family. Let me talk to us in 2022, 2023, and the climate of our country. The church has to stand united. Do not, do not let politics create division. Don't let cultural wars create division. You see, my fear is sometimes we've allowed tribalism to come in and we're more affiliated with a political tribe than we are the family of God. We align ourselves more with those who have our political values. Then, then wait a second. Man, we are, we are sons and daughters that are trying to live this book. Man, let's put this book above our politics, above our culture, above our skin color. Let's put this book first and foremost because Jesus is what unites us. And what unites us is greater than anything that can divide us. Come on, can somebody say amen? You got to fight for your families. Listen, I'm fighting for you today. I'm fighting for the church. I'm believing that God's bringing red, yellow, black, and white together in a spirit of unity. God's bringing those from all different walks of life, different tribes and ethnicities and, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Why? Because we rally around Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men into myself. The church is worth fighting for. So fight for your brothers. Fight for your sisters. Fight for your family. Come on. no, Put your hand on your heart for a second. Come on. Say, say this out loud. Say, no strife belongs here. Come on. Say, no division belongs here. Say, I love Jesus. I love his family. And I will fight for the kingdom till my last breath. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.